transcends culture, so it can appear within any culture. That's a side point, but our business, I think I said this the other night, is not to drudge up the past because we can't deal with the present. Our business is to build a bridge to the future. If the past is the thesis, the modern world is the antithesis, we want a synthesis. When we can't deal with the present, we live in the modern world, so Prabhupada answered everything, but things are still coming up. <laughs> when I was young, at 20, 22 years old, Prabhupada answered everything. New questions have come up, new thoughts, new ideas. We may have to deal with those in order to be enthusiastic to continue with the idea that Krishna consciousness is as relevant as they said it was a few decades ago or a few hundred years ago or thousands of years ago. But we have to deal with the issues ourselves. We have to think about it, reason about it. And just because we can't think about it, because it doesn't seem to work with what we think is Krishna consciousness, then we just went, the modern world is all Maya, it's all Kali Yuga, and I hope that uh, that third world war comes, and we'll get rid of all the demons, and we shouldn't think like that. <laughs> that won't be good. And then the Vedic culture will again come, and, <laughs> and women will be in their place. <laughs> Once and for all. <laughs> No. We have to have a dynamic approach to our theology. This is a foundational point. If we can get this point in to our head, Krishna has a chintya shakti. He can do anything. Then with faith and devotion, we can worship Krishna. We can get our own experience of that. Grounded in experience, and we can deal with anything that comes along that seems to say truth is different from what it says in your book. If we have that kind of experience, then we can make the book show, yes, our book says that too. If it's true, our book also says that. It's not a problem. It's a living, vital theology, spiritual current. And as I said, it transcends culture, so it can appear in any culture, even in our modern culture. So it's an appealing idea, more appealing than Advaita Vedanta, a very boring idea of Vedanta. It may appeal to people's reasoning and logic, but our exciting point is that reasoning is... Uh, Limited at best, the good news, intellect is limited. Of course, Shankar wouldn't disagree entirely with that point. But as for the eternality of the Vedas, he doesn't feel as we do about that. But the possibilities we find in Bhagavatam, he doesn't see them as we do. For the thoughtful devotees, literate type, they should study these things. Tattva Sandarbha is a good thing to study. And of course, all the prophets' books go over these points over and over again. So there are five schools of Vedanta that differ with Shankar significantly. Although they disagree with one another, they all agree enough to differ with him. Of the five devotional schools, that of the Gaudis is the most recent, and thus has the distinctive advantage of being able to draw on the devotional wealth that came before it. The host of commentators in the devotional schools of Vedanta that followed Shankar have all vociferously refuted his doctrines, which include dispensing with God, the individual soul, and the world, as well as his subjugation of devotion to knowledge, all in the name of non-duality. While the devotional commentators may have subtle theological differences that demark their particular schools of Vedanta, they are in sufficient agreement with one another to unanimously oppose these doctrines of Shankar. I just thought it was worth making this point in the introduction because, as I said, most people think Vedanta is Advaita. They don't know that there's anything else out there. Vedanta is 
trademark. Yeah, the Vedanta Society. They made Ram Krishna into a Vedantist when he was just a tantric mystic. No connection with Vedanta. Vivekananda did it. Very good propaganda. Among the devotional commentaries on the Gita, Ramanuja's is first historically and thus the most influential. It has made significant inroads in academic circles. Ramanuja's commentary is brilliant in its demonstration of the congruity of the Gita's many paths and the post-liberated nature of devotion. In some places I have cited Ramanuja's commentary or followed his sense of the text. This is in keeping with Jiva Goswami's policy of acknowledging venerable Vaishnavas as discussed in his Tattva Sandarbha. I have cited Sridhar Swami's Subodini, that's his tikka, his commentary on the Gita, in the same spirit. Vishwana Chakravati Thakur and Baldi Bhushana have referred to Ramanuja but seem more influenced by Sridhar Swami in their commentaries, whose commentary they often follow closely. This attests to the influence of Sridhar Swami on the Gaudiya school already well documented in the case of Sriman Bhagavatam. You know that from Chaitanya Charitamrita. Mahaprabhu made the point to emphasize chastity to Sridhar Swami and previous acharyas when Balaba wanted to recite his own commentary to Mahaprabhu on Bhagavatam and said, my commentary is better than Sridhar Swami's. Mahaprabhu said, oh, anybody who says that they don't need the Swami is a prostitute. Swami means husband also. So anybody who says they don't need the husband is a prostitute. He was so strong in his language about this. As he appreciated Sridhar Swami's commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam. Balaba had a bit of a trouble entering into the Gaudiya group. There are higher reasons for that. He had a position of his own, but on the surface, on this occasion, he was a bit proud. He came to Mahaprabhu also at that time and said, Well, I, if you don't want to hear my Bhagavatam commentary, I have a commentary on Krishna Nam. Would you like to hear that? Mahaprabhu said, All I know about Krishna is that he is Sham Sundar and Yashodanandana. That's all. Then he said, if you want to know about this, I learned from Haridas about chanting Hare Krishna. I learned this from Rupa Goswami. From Sarup Damodar, I learned, started naming all of his associates who Balava was more or less trying to, having a sibling rivalry with, <laughs> so to speak, in relation to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Balava wasn't satisfied. He came back and said, there's a problem here. Your group, all these devotees that you hold so high, they're always chanting Krishna's name. Yet they're interested in being the wives of Krishna. And everybody knows that the wife can't say the name of the husband. So what kind of theology have you got going here? In other words, at those times, the, the wife would address the husband as Prabhu, not by his first name. It was more, married life is more similar to Dasya, like Lakshmi Narayana, than Rajabhakti. So he made this point. What did Mahaprabhu say? Yes, that's true. The wife cannot utter the husband's name. But if the husband tells her to, as the Prabhu, then she has to do that. <laughs> well, Krishna has said, everyone should chant my name. Everyone's Prakriti female. He's the husband of everyone. So, Mahaprabhu appreciated Sridhar Swami's commentary on Srimad Bhagavatam. The Gaudiyacharyas, Baladevijibhush and Vishwanath Chakravitakura, they've taken a lot from Sridhar Swami's commentary. In many places they've commented as per Sridhar Swami. Also relevant to the present work, this one, is a Dwaitan Madhusudan Saraswati's Gudartha Deepika commentary on Bhagavad Gita, which Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur cites numerous times. 
in the interest of substantiating the plausibility of the Gaudiya understanding of the Gita, I have cited Madhusudan Saraswati's commentary in places. As Neo-Advaitans may think the Gaudiya rendering a stretch in places, it will be useful for them to know that such a highly renowned scholar and guru of the Advaita lineage is often supportive of the Gaudiya interpretations of the flow of Sri Gita's verse and its emphasis on devotion. Madhusudan Saraswati is a scriptural genius, and at a time when the Madhvas had come out with a document that was very embarrassing to the Advaitins and held them in check for a long time, Madhvas, of course, directly face-to-face opposed to the Advaita philosophy of Shankar. In fact, his philosophy is called Dvaita Vedanta, instead of Advaita Vedanta. So his successors had come out with a document that was very damaging to the Advaitins, who had a wide circle of popularity, a wide congregation. And Madhusudan Saraswati wrote Advaita Siddhi, which reversed that. Very powerful. And at the same time, in India, there was a great influx of uh, devotion. All types of devotional movements were springing up. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, which was the most important. But you had uh, all types of devotion because the Shankarites had, in their doctrine, it's clear that unless you are born in the Brahmin family and take sannyas, you cannot get mukti. So there was a more or less a rebellion against this idea, largely. And so many saints were coming forward with, with uh, devotion as a means for the people to succeed in life in an ultimate sense. So Madhavan Sudan Saraswati then wrote his Bhakti Rasayana, his commentary on Bhagavad Gita. And um, Bhakti Rasayana, he follows what Rupa Goswami did to an extent. And he takes all of the um, aesthetic ideals, all the different um, bhavas, rasas, shanta, dasya, sakya, vatsalya, madhurdya, and he analyzes them all according to Vedanta. And his conclusions are different than Rupa Goswami, but people read this and they think what a great devotee he is. They read his commentary in Bhagavad Gita and they think that he's a bhakta. But actually he's a mayavadi through and through. He was a contemporary Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, younger than Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He never met Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He was from Bengal. He was strongly influenced by Gaudiya Vaishnavism, but he became an Advaita. He really kind of like pushes the envelope of Advaita Vedanta in terms of his emphasis on devotion, because Shankar did not emphasize devotion very much. He thought it was for the more or less for the less intelligent. Anyway, he's a great example of a preacher. Seeing the times, the climate of the times, the influence of bhakti and devotion, sentimentalism and all. Then he took Advaita Vedanta and, and factored this in and explained it to keep people in the fold. Mar- is, Mar- is this where they get the idea now that you know, you're devoted to a particular deity and then you go up there, you know, do that devotion, and then you discard the deity when you get to that particular point? Well, that's, there that in, that's not from him in particular, but that's what Advaita Vedanta says about devotion to the deity in general. That's before him. That, that didn't come before him. Yeah, actually, Shankar himself was very, very critical of devotion in the sense of its being for the persons who are not very thoughtful. If you have to, was kind of his idea, then he could do that. 
<laughs> but I'm, re I'm really interested in talking to other people who are more, more thoughtful. But what about uh, what you said in the Bhajagovindam prayers? Yeah, well, those are all there, but those aren't the, the emphases of... Those are the things where his devotional side ekes out. Of course, according to our theology, he was commissioned to do that, to speak in that way, but his true self still, comes, still comes out here and there. Well, he revealed himself for those who see him in that light, right? Yeah, he did. He revealed himself. So this cover that Dwayton is, is the Madhusudana Saraswati? Madhusudana Saraswati is an Dwayton at the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And so he took Advaita Vedanta and explained it in very devotional terms. He has said such beautiful things about Krishna. It's nice in a sense. He's a Mayavadi who doesn't have the same conclusions about Krishna. But you can see even he's charmed. He actually is. It wasn't just a ploy for preaching. He actually is charmed about this particular Saguna Brahman, manifestation of Saguna Brahman, the best of all possible. But he's an Advaitin through and through, so we shouldn't be deceived by Madhusudan Saraswati, but we can, as he has shown a very artfully a way to preach, we are also doing the same and employing him in that by citing here and there his sense of different verses where he admits that yeah, this one says this, it's about devotion and so forth. Because people will read and say, oh, you're stretching it. But he shows grammatically and whatnot how it's, it can be seen in that way. He agrees. He agrees with us. Not everywhere, but where he does, then we, we cite him. So, uh, and just further back on, Sridhar Swami, was when, what time did he live and what line did he come in? Uh, Sridhar Swami was in the line of, same as Balabha, which is the Rudra Sampradaya. His dates I don't recall. That's the whole story about him, of course. Sridhar Swami's Bhagavatam commentary was controversial because it had so much devotion in it, and it was taken and placed in Kashi, Banaris, before the deity of Lord Shiva. And then the statement came out, Rajvetinavetiva, a little different than the one you find in Chaitanya Charitamrita. I know, Shiva said, Amveti, Sukhaveti, Sukadev knows, Rajvetinavetiva, the king, Parikshit may know, he may not know, Vyas knows, but Sridhar Swami knows, by the grace of Lord Nishingadev. Nishingadev was the deity of Sridhar Swami. It was his Ishtadevata. So, Bhagavatam was accepted then widely. It was considered to have been ratified by Lord Shiva himself. That's different from Aham Vedi, Supaveti, Vyasaveti, Nivedi Vah. Yeah. That is a verse given in Chaitanya Charitamrita by Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami with no, um, it seems to be his own verse. It's the same import, but it's not, in one sense, it's the same. The, the, the first two lines, but the second lines aren't relative to Sridhar Swami's commentary. So let me continue while I try to finish this tonight. The commentaries of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur and Baladev Vidyabhushan in the Gaudi lineage are, in comparison to Ramanuja's commentary, far less known. True to their devotion to the sweet Krishna of Braj, their explanation of the Gita brings a charm to the text that Ramanujas does not. Moreover, they place greater emphasis on devotion, both in terms of its power to afford the highest salvation and in its magnanimity in extending itself to the lowest section of society. I have cited these two principal Gaudiya commentators throughout, and naturally I am principally indebted to them, although Sri Vishwanath and Baldev Bhushan occasionally differ. Their differences remain 
within the parameters of the lineage's devotional conclusions, Siddhanta. And as far as possible, I've tried to show their differences throughout, which is illuminating that they could have different opinions about the verses and what they mean. These two have elaborately demonstrated from their knowledge of Sanskrit and the entire corpus of sacred literature instances in which some verses can take on a special meaning that is hidden from the vision of those whose eyes have not been tinged by the salve of love for Krishna. Perhaps Gaudiya commentators appear to go out on a limb more than anywhere else when they find Braj Krishna speaking in the Gita. Remember, it's dear Prashanta Krishna of Dwarka who's speaking the Bhagavad Gita, but in their commentaries and in their translations, they're hearing Braj Krishna speaking. So, as I said, they may, for some, appear to go out on the limb more than anywhere else. Krishna Chakvati Thakur hears, for example, Krishna speaking of Raganuga Bhakti in chapter 10, verse 9. Bhakti Vinod Thakur and several other modern commentators follow his lead in their commentaries. How can it be? According to the Gaudiya theology, dear Prashanta Krishna of the Gita is not preoccupied with Braj and the love of the gopis. As much as dear Lita Krishna of Braj is in no mood for an Upanishadic discourse, the dear Prashanta Krishna of Dwarka is not typically in the mood of Braj Bhakti. However, careful study of the Srimad Bhagavatam in conjunction with the Padma Purana and Harivams Purana reveals that the prince of the Gita does occasionally think of Braj, as he did in Kurukshetra during his first visit to this sacred place. So this is not the first time Krishna stood at Kurukshetra. This is 50 years later. First time he stood at Kurukshetra was shortly after killing Kangsa, and there he met with the inhabitants of Vrindavan. According to Srimad Bhagavatam, Krishna returned to Mathura to kill Dantavakra before the Gita was spoken. Padma Purana reveals that he then went from Mathura to Brajadam. After remaining in Braj for two months, he transferred all of his Braj devotees to his unmanifest Lila in Goloka. According to Vishwanath Chakotitakur's comments on the Padma Purana, Krishna himself went in a seemingly complete Purna Kalpa Prakash manifestation to Goloka, and another most complete Purnatama Prakash plenary manifestation. He remained perpetually enjoying in Braj while invisible to material eyes. In yet another plenary manifestation, Purnaprakash, he mounted his chariot and returned alone to Dwarka. Like I said, <laughs> the Godias have a lot to say about the social life of God and about God and his possibilities. You follow that? What it means is this. Krishna now, Dwarkadish Krishna, speaking Bhagavad Gita. And Krishna, who related with the habits of Braj, has gone with them to Golok. That would seem to leave Dwarkadish Krishna on earth and Braj Krishna not on earth. Now, you see, Dwarkadish Krishna has feelings about Braj, and we'll hear about them. They're documented in the scriptures. But the reasoning would be, as long as Braj Krishna is present, in other words, Braj Krishna becomes invisible and Maturesh and Dwarkadesh Krishna manifest for those Leelas. But if the Braj Krishna is gone to Golok, then it would seem theologically impossible, according to Gaudiya theology itself, for Dwarkadesh Krishna to have sentiments of Braj Krishna, because when Braj Krishna is present, he's partially manifest in Maturesh Krishna and Dwarkadesh Krishna. Therefore, he can have those feelings. But if he's gone altogether, then not. But Vishnu Jagvari Thakur has explained like this, 
Now, now he hasn't explained it in his Bhagavad Gita commentary. I'm just drawing this out to support how the Gaudiya Acharyas can theologically, and from the point of view of rasa, be correct in hearing Braj Krishna in Bhagavad Gita. Here Krishna is speaking about Raghunuga Bhakti, and how can it be in Bhagavad Gita? We're trying to put all this information together to substantiate this point and support our previous charges. So, the idea is that in a complete form, Purnakalpa Pragash, he went to Golok. But in Purnatama Pragash, even more complete, he remains in Vrindavan, always, unmanifest to the material eye. And in another form, he's gone as Dwarkish Krishna. So he is present and still on earth. So the sentiments that Dwarkadish Krishna expresses at other times, previous to the speaking of Bhagavad Gita, with regard to Braj Bhakti, can also, those sentiments can be experienced while he's speaking Bhagavad Gita to Krishna, and why should they not when he's doing it in Kurukshetra, a second time around? First time he spoke, he came to Kurukshetra 50 years before Bhagavad Gita, the inhabitants of Vrindavan came there and Krishna spoke with gopis in the bushes, he told them, Mai bhakti Many people ask me for eternal life. I give it. It's not a big thing. But the affection with which you've approached me, I'm purchased by that. My heart is with you. I surrender to you. This is what happened at Kurukshetra. Now Krishna's there again 50 years later. Don't we think that that land will be Udipana for this? Stimulus for that? And you're going to talk about Dharma? Will it not touch Prema Dharma? The highest idea of Dharma? It must. And as we'll hear it when we get to the end of this 18th chapters, Arjuna understood that. And Mahaprabhu tested him. When Krishna came as Mahaprabhu, he tested him. Arjuna appearing as Rai Ramananda, the Ramananda Samvad, then conversation between Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Ramananda Roy. God Krishna took the part of the disciple and Rai Ramananda, Arjuna, as the guru. And Arjun shows, I understood what you said about Bhagavad Gita in the deepest sense. Oh, such a high thing. It's about Prema Dharma of Braj. This is the farthest reach of what you were talking to me about then. Even I didn't have Adhikari for it. You used me. I'm blessed by that. So following his return, Krishna's return, Krishna spoke Bhagavad Gita. That means after taking the inhabitants of Vrindavan back to Golok. This prince of Dwarka no doubt thought of the highest devotion of his Braj devotees from time to time while speaking of devotion to Arjun. Indeed, as mentioned earlier, the entire Leela of Dwarka is not unrelated to Braj. Krishna went to Dwarka only for the sake of protecting his Braj devotees. As Sanatana Goswami finds Dwarka's prince calling out Radha's name in his sleep in his Briyat Bhagavatamrita, Gaudiya commentators have heard him speak of Braj Bhakti by reading between the lines of his song to Arjuna. Indeed, even within the embrace of his principal queen of Dwarka, Prince Krishna thinks of Braj and Radha's love. Umapati Dhar, quoted in Rupa Goswami's Padyavali and in his Ujjval Nilamani, prays thus, In his place in Dwarka, on the sparkling gem-strewn shores of the ocean, Krishna's body shivered in ecstasy in the tight embrace of none other than Rukmini. Yet his mind recalled the fragrance of love he enjoyed with Radha in the reeds 
by the banks of the black Jamuna waters, and he fainted. May that faint always protect you. You understand? If in the embrace of Rukmini, his mind can go to Braj. I'm speak about speaking to Arjuna in Bhagavad Gita about the gradation of theistic thought and possibilities. Ultimately, the theological resolution to the apparent contradiction in which Braj Bhakti issues from the lips of the prince of Dwarka lies in the power of Bhakti itself. Devotees see Krishna in everyone and everything by the force of their love for him. Sri Chaitanya is said to have made the statement, Morman Brindavan. My mind is Brindavan. From Chaitanya Charitamrita. He saw all rivers as the Braj's Jamuna and all mountains as its Govardhan. In the majestic Jagannath deity of Sri Dampuri, he saw Braj's sweet dear Lalita Krishna, flute in hands, head adorned with peacock feather. At the Gurudastamba Gardera, Pache Ruhi, Rahir, Murali Badan, he saw the Dekia. He saw the form of Krishna playing the flute in Jagannath. By the force of his love. In consideration of this, it is hardly a stretch for his devotees to hear Braj Krishna, the dear Lalita of Radha, in princely Krishna's words. The gap is further narrowed by the fact that on the battleground of sacred Kurukshetra, long before he spoke the Gita to Arjun, Krishna met with Radha and the gopis after a long and painful period of separation. Setting foot on that holy place again for the purpose of instructing Arjun, Prince Krishna was no doubt influenced by that memory. Thus, in the midst of his discourse to Arjuna on comparative religion, in which bhakti rises to the top as the cream of the milk of religion, it is natural for Arjuna's charioteer to steer the conversation in the direction of brudge and the highest expression of devotion. The idea that the spiritual emotion, bhava, of the Gaudiya commentators brings their interpretation of the Gita to the pitch of brudge bhakti is charming. The feeling that prejudices their vision is by no means a blemish. After all, it is feeling for the Gita and love for Krishna that the text seeks to arouse in its reader. Their feeling for Krishna arising out of a firm philosophical and scriptural foundation is the most valuable thing one can hope to experience in the course of studying Bhagavad Gita. In feeling their emotion, readers will also get the feel of the Gita and thus feeling for Krishna. After the time of Baldev Vidyabhushan, who passed from the world in the mid-18th century, the Bhagavad Gita became somewhat neglected by the Gaudiya school until the time of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, the great revivalist of the tradition in the late 19th century. Thakur Bhaktivinoda published two different Bengali editions of the Gita based on the two great Sanskrit commentaries that came before him. Bhaktivinoda Thakur's son and successor, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, continued the Thakur's preaching mission and recognized the necessity of translating the Gita into English. Of his disciples, Bhakti Tirtha Maharaj was the first to publish a translation and commentary in the Gaudiya spirit. He was followed by Bhakti Hridai Bon Maharaj, whose translation, the Gita as a Chaitanya reads it, is based on Vishwana Chakravati Thakur's commentary. The most influential Gaudiya Vaishnava edition was written by my own spiritual master, Shilesi Bhakti Vedanta Sami Prabhupada, whose Bhagavad Gita as it is has sold more copies than any other edition to date. 
Srila Prabhupada's translation is dedicated to Baladeva Jibhushana. His indebtedness to Baladeva is clear throughout his English purports. My Siksha Guru, Bhakti Rakshak Goswami, also published a translation of the Gita based on Sri Vishwanath's commentary, in which he reveals the underlying esoteric understanding of Braj Bhakti. In the present edition, I have adopted a more literal translation of the original Sanskrit text, keeping the Gaudiya purport confined to the commentary. I have also taken pains to demonstrate the congruity of the Gita, its natural flow from verse to verse, which has not been a focus of other modern Gaudiya commentators. I have occasionally cited references to the Gita from Satsandarbha of Jiva Goswami and Chaitanya Charitamrita of Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami, both of which precede the earliest Gaudiya Bhagavad Gita commentary, and I have also cited a number of Baladev's references to the Gita in his Govinda Bhasha commentary on Vedanta Sutra. The language is contemporary, and as much as possible I have tried to bring home the relevance of the Gita and the Gaudiya import, in particular for times in which we live. In all of this, I hope that this edition will serve as a meaningful contribution to the Gaudiya lineage, an indicator of its vitality at the beginning of the 21st century. While I am hopeful that both practitioners and casual readers will find this edition helpful, I initially undertook the work for my own edification and purification. In this I feel that my work has been a success as it has given rise in me to real feeling for the Gita, Krishna, and Arjuna. It is this feeling that I have attempted to weave into the text. May its careful study awaken spiritual sentiment in its readers as well, for it is this feeling that does not allow one to tire from hearing Krishna's ambrosial words, edition after edition, thrilled at every moment. We could have commented quite a bit on all the things we just read, but I wanted to try to get through the introduction in this session so we can go on to chapter 1 in March. Hare Krishna. Simad Bhagavad Gita ki jai. Any questions or comments? What's the homework? The homework. Right, okay. The homework is you have to read Brihat Bhagavatamrita Part 1. Chapter 6, and we'll be sending that to you in the email. Chapter 1, Part 6? Yeah, if you don't have it, but even if you do, we'll send it to you in the email. Is there a version of that, or are there different versions? There are probably a few different editions around and about. Brihat Bhagavatamrita was written by Sanatana Goswami, and he wrote his own commentary on it. The BBT is at present working on a translation of the Briyat Bhagavatamrita and a commentary based on Sanatana's commentary, but it's not published. So what I'm going to send you is translations of the verses for that chapter 6 of part 1. What it deals with is, to some extent, among other things, relative to the discussion anyway, it deals with Krishna's sentiments for Braj Bhakti coming out even while he's in Dwarka even in the embrace of Rukmini and, and such things. It's very nice. We could talk a bit about it, but I'll let you read it and then we can discuss it. Yes? What do you mean when you say to know oneself? How do you know when you know yourself? Well, really what I mean by that, there's, obviously there are different answers to that, and we can know ourselves in different ways, um, but what I meant by it is self-realization, knowing yourself to be different from your personality and your body, your mind, and all those 
things that are constituted of the modes of nature. Now, on a lower level, of course, it would be important to know yourself in terms of where you are in the gunas, and theoretically knowing that you're not part of the gunas, but where you are in terms of the gunas' influence. It's important to know in terms of getting out of their influence and truly knowing yourself. Sumit Bhagavatam says, and it's very important, that true beauty, really, was true beauty is knowing your capacity, to put it in brief, knowing where you're really at. So it's important in that sense to know yourself as well. It means know where you are in terms of your capacity to practice. If you have faith in Krishna, by the grace of a sadhu, then you have the capacity to engage in bhakti. You should be clear on that. Now, how to engage in bhakti? To what extent? Should you be a sannyasi, sannyasini, or should you be a householder? How should you do it? Do you have adhikari for vaidhi bhakti or raganuga bhakti? That then all has to be sorted out. So that's a lower level of knowing yourself, which constitutes in the language of Bhagavatam real beauty. Because there's nothing more ugly or clumsy than someone doing something that they're not really qualified to do. Hmm? It's embarrassing to them and it's embarrassing to others. So you should know yourself in that regard. Now that you should take help in, in that regard too. One thing you should know about knowing yourself on any level is that one of the things that would be most helpful is hearing from people who know you. You know, you look in the mirror and you see yourself a certain way and then somebody takes a picture of you and you go, oh, that's not me. <laughs> because, yeah, that's you. <laughs> no, it's, take it again. <laughs> and Krishna, to know himself perfectly, had to look through the eyes of Radha. He, is that the whole conclusion of our theology? Is that we, he could best know himself by seeing through the eyes of one who loved him. So, if you can find someone who loves you, and then, of course, on different levels, but especially on a spiritual level, some, and qualified person who cares about you, then from that person you can find out most about yourself, not only in terms of what it means to be a soul, but in terms of where you are in your present uh, entanglement within material nature and what steps to take practically to move away from that. Yes? Now, you're mentioning how... We first have to know the Tattva uh, Gyan before we can learn Vasa Bhav. Before you can get Bhav. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. Be Kriditam Vishnu. Why the word Vishnu is used in that slok? You understand? At the end of Ras Leela, Sukadeva Goswami says, Be Kriditam Brajabadu means wives of the Braj. Vishnu is consorting with them. And Sukadeva Goswami, he's just narrated the Rasa Lila, and he says, so whoever hears this about the wives of Braj and Vishnu, they're consorting. He will get bhakti in his heart, and all the rogue, the disease of material existence will go away. So, therefore, you can just sit and hear the Rasa Lila. Why should you know any tattva? But who can just sit in here, Rasalila? Unless you know some tattva, why you would be interested to sit in? Why would you even go there? Why would you? Why would that even come to your mind? Such a thing. And the word Vishnu is used, so it's clear that Sukadev Goswami is also saying you should know that he's God. God's heavy consorting with these ladies. Just before that, the question is asked by Pariksit Maharaj. Well, how is it that 
Krishna, who is the Dharma Seta, the very bridge of religion, could be going with someone else's wives. What does Sukadeva Goswami say? He's really their husband. He's the husband of their husbands. I don't understand. <laughs> He's the husband of everybody. <laughs> That's who it is. Get that down first. Then you can understand the whole thing. Then it becomes charming. That that person is doing that. Wow. That's noteworthy. Goodness. So, like, so that was the beginning of the question. Because you mentioned how in order to make that uh, transition, at the same time, and you made the point as well that Prabhupada emphasized and pounded in that Krishna is God, Krishna is God. But at the same time, from the very beginning, he also gave us a Krishna book. So, along with this heavy pounding of the, I don't want to make the analogy artillery, but with that heavy pounding, then, he, then he's also giving the, the sweet taste of also Krishna Lila. So, there seems to be some kind of prescription, some recipe that's, you know, that when, you know, as, as you progress, then, then the Krishna's pastimes become more prominent in your study, as opposed to the, you know, being, you know, on the Upanishadic level. So maybe you can speak to that. As one develops bhava, then he will study in a particular way. A bhava bhakta, or who has adhikar for raganuga bhakti, will do everything else that the Bhadi Bhakti will do, but he will do it in a particular way relative to his taste. So the real thing is that you practice until you get Ruchi and then Ruchi will guide you. Then you don't then you can guide others. If you get Ruchi then you follow your Ruchi, follow your taste. He will lead you. Hmm? When in other words my saying is when you reach the point of Ruchi, that is the precursor to Bhav. Yeah, but understand my point. There's, there's Prabhupada is the supreme position, right? Who is? Prabhupada. Any guru. Any. Yeah. And he's, like you're mentioning, emphasizing the tattva. But at the same time, from the very beginning, he gave us, you know, Krishna book. Yeah, what do you, what do you kind of commentary in Bhagavad Gita do you think this is? <laughs> what we're talking about? Krishna and Braj Bhakti, and I mean, if you listen to the class, I think it's pretty clear that we're. We're not doing anything different than that. We're emphasizing the tattva to the extreme and bringing out the sweetness of Krishna and the importance of Brajlila and so forth. This is the standard in our whole sampradaya. We're not just talking about the Aishwari. We're not saying, you take everything sweet about Krishna, put it over here, we're only going to talk that Krishna is God. We're saying we're talking that Krishna is God so that you can understand the sweetness over here. Now let's talk about the sweetness now. Okay? Now let's talk about it. Remember that he's God. Now let's talk about the sweetness. <laughs> remember that he's God. And then, and then after a while you forget that he's God and you just sweetness only. But if they just go, we just talk about the sweetness and we don't need to talk about the God part, then it may not end up so sweet. Hmm? Both things are there. Aishwari is there in Vrindavan. The fact that Krishna's God comes out more clearly in Vrindavan than anywhere else. Innumerable universes are emanating from Vishnu. And from Krishna, innumerable Vishnus are emanating in Brahma Vimohan Lila. What more opulence Aishvarya could you imagine than what was exhibited in Vrindavan? The point is that these two things go together. We don't want to take away the godhood of Krishna. That is what makes Krishna Lila sweet. If he's not God, then, well, all kind of people are doing that stuff. <laughs> the fact that he's God, that's what makes it sweet. So both things. Eventually we may forget that Krishna is God. That's another thing, in love with Krishna. That's our ideal. 
then when he shows himself to be God, then that will just fuel our particular sentiment. When Christian lifts go over downhill, the cowherds are thinking, well, we better help him out, and they put their sticks up there. It never influences their bother to think like Arjun did. Oh, I'm sorry I sat in the same seat with you now that I see that you're God. So there's some differences. Our ideal is that Braj Bhakti. That's what we're talking about. But if we want to go there, thoughtfully, scientifically, in Prabhupada's terminology, then we have to go step by step. So we are not recommending in this circle that everyone simply go and sit and just go to Radhakunda and do uh, chant day and night and talk about Raslila. We are giving a... Uh, you asked the formula. We are giving the formula. Books like this, they are the, teaching the formula. Just like our Guru Parampara. Yes? Talking about formula, you mentioned that devotee who said that he thought that he tried to know himself by knowing God first and discovered that uh, it seems better for him that he decided that he tried to understand the self and by that understand God. In other words, he thought he might have been doing it backwards. And so it's a formula and it's a step-by-step -step process. And I, I, in my experience, I've sort of had the, the same experience myself. And then you were also talking, um, even just by, besides just trying to understand about the body, you might even have to start below that and become a good human being, even before you can attempt to understand about the body. And I wish you would address that. One of the reasons I became really attracted to your writing, like Enjoy Yourself and then um, Tapa Sandarva, was uh, I haven't met too many devotees who stressed that point or brought out the point of how important it is to have that experience of the self and to make that distinction between intellectualizing, theorizing, and, and actual spiritual awareness. Mm -hmm. Confusing the two. And I recently, um, this is getting a little long, but um, different times this question comes up to me. And uh, Sadhananda's ex wife, she came and stayed for about a week. And she saw how much how more I'm into Krishna consciousness now than I was a few years ago when the last time she visited. And at the same time, uh, we were having nice discussions about self realization. And she's getting a little interested again in mm -hmm. the practice of self-realization. But when it comes to trying to understand Krishna as God and the practice of bhakti, she uh, still shies away from that. And she was wondering why I took up the practice of bhakti again. And I told her, well, for myself, you know, that experience of self-realization really became a stimulus. And from the Krishna consciousness, um, the theology is, is really, really high. And it is, it is not surprising that it's difficult to understand her taste to begin with, especially without that beginning foundation. And she actually uh, thought about, kind of re, rethought, re, had some rethoughts about the potential of taking up Christian consciousness again. But, but then she said, why didn't they, uh, why wasn't the uh, basics stressed more, trying to understand the self? stressed more? Why was it um, more backwards? Or she had the same kind of Well, the problem with the Gaudiya Vaishnavism, of course, is that it is a very high theology. It's a very, very high theology. And, um, and so it runs the risk of 
of its members identifying with the theology intellectually, and and it's a theology that says, for example, liberation is insignificant, self-realization is like nowhere in comparison to Brajabhakti. So that's a fact, but it's easy to hear that and then identify with, yeah, I want the highest thing, and then deprecate self-realization when you're nowhere near that. Hmm? And then you may neglect aspects of the actual practice of Gaudiya Vaishnavism that will be helpful in terms of your becoming self-realized, etc. And then carry around a head full of theory and tell everybody that they're Maya or they're a Maya body or they're <laughs> this, that, or the other thing. And, uh, and end up finding, if you're lucky, that a lot of people think that you're really proud and irrelevant and that you're not very spiritual at all. You're hardly even a caring human being. What to speak of self-realized, uh, and the other things that you're talking about that we're no longer interested in. Even these lower things aren't showing up in you. So this has happened sometimes to devotees and, and that's unfortunate. And it's, it's a risk that's, that's kind of run in a, in a sense. If you're going to let something like this out of the bag, mm-hmm. such a high thing, that it, you know, it can be abused. It, it's, it's a fact. But it should it be kept in the bag. No. It should be let up because somebody's going to catch it and somebody's going to explain it and then some other people are going to be able to... We have to just keep going with it. <laughs> Gradually the group will get bigger who really kind of understands what it's about and how to apply oneself such that in the course of aspiring for the highest goal we're aware of the different steps that we'll have to cross over and know where we are in terms of that and, and equate our practice and our culture and our sense of being a devotee with how much we've developed in terms of those steps. The problem isn't Gaudiya Vaishnavism, but the problem, well, it is in a sense. It's, uh, but you know, you can't complain about mercy either. You just give something very special to people who are unqualified, then you're going to find problems. Welcome to the Gaudiya Sampradaya. You want to blame Chaitanya Mahaprabhu for that? <laughs> You know, we'll get it straight one of these lifetimes. If we're lucky we got involved, you know, one of these lifetimes we'll figure it out. And, you know, hopefully we don't offend too many people, and certainly not Vaishnavas along the way. But that's really what we're dealing with. Now, you can find other traditions that are about transcendence to some extent or another, and they focus on much lower things than Gaudiya Vaishnavism. I mean, it just, and therefore, they emphasizing those things, people may practice them in such a way that they become better human beings, and maybe even have more uh, experience of the self than devotees do. It's possible than a devotee may. That doesn't mean that we should uh, follow that path first. No, we should learn how to apply ourselves properly in uh, sadhana bhakti. I mean, we all have a prescribed number of rounds to chant. Japa, for example, says, so you sit and do that. That's that's dhyan. Japa is really a limb of dhyan, of, of smaranam, of meditation. Do that. Practice. And if you sit down every morning for an hour or two and chant japa, focus on the holy name and not on anything else. Day after day, you're dealing, you're wrestling with the mind, and uh, it's yoga. You know, you'll make, you'll start to become self-realized. You'll find it's a difference. But if you don't, if you think, uh, well, we're not yogis. Uh, we don't sit down, and we got a lot of things to do for Krishna, a lot of service to render. You know, just got to preach. Got to preach. And then, you know, so shoot through the rounds and channel while you're driving the car or whatever. Well, you can't expect to get 
kind of results that you would otherwise if you approach the things the way the Goswamis have taught us to. So, got to be sensible about it. But there's no better course to take for self-realization than Krishna Bhakti. No better course. No more expedient course. And no better course in the sense that, well, you become self-realized as a byproduct of your culture for Krishna consciousness. But as I said before in the Bhagavad Gita, there's so many things that I mentioned. The whole, I mean, yoga, renunciation of the fruits of activity, the ingress of knowledge, renunciation, so that's all part of bhakti. I mean, bhakti is the culmination of yoga. It doesn't leave anything in yoga out. It's realizing the self of the self. So self-realization is included in that. So you have to think about it, you have to talk to people about it in that way. And... Um, <coughs> And you get more, uh, get better, better results than just a head full of knowledge. Bhakti Pareshanu Bhava Bhakti. You're getting bhakti, then it has, then some things should be there. If you're a bhakta, then there should be some experience. Bhakti Pareshanu Bhava Bhakti. There should be, uh, detachment. What is the whole verse? Bhakti Pareshanu Bhava Bhakti. Explain it. It means that Krishna Bhakti, you, just as when you eat food, if you, when you're hungry, you get three things, Tushti, Pushti, and Shuddha Pahinga, which means you get uh, nourishment, satisfaction, and eradication of hunger. Mm. Those three things come automatically. And as Prabhupada used to say, you don't need to give a certificate to someone who's eating. They know for themselves they're feeling that. So, similarly, when Prabhupada when you surrender to Krishna, then you get Krishna Bhakti, natural result that comes out, Bhakti is natural. And you get Krishna Bhakti, Parishana Bhava, you directly see God for yourself. You know. And you also get virakti. detachment, virakti. Virakti means detachment from all other things. It's not that you're renouncing goes away. them, but they fall away from you automatically. So that's bhakti. It's not just a head full of information that you want to then regurgitate and tell everybody what to do, what they should be doing with their lives. It's what you should be doing with with your life. So if you're doing bhakti, then these things are happening. We should think about that. And then we should approach it like that for experience. What makes Hare Krishna exciting is that it's experiential. Now, you can have it now. You can have experience now. I mean, compared to the kind of the, the, the non-experiential religious orientation to a faith, you be a good person and you go to heaven afterwards. So you can you can have experience now. If you're not getting it, then you should make a complaint. You say, I'm not... I'm, you go to your guru and say, I'm not getting. And he'll say, that's the whole problem. <laughs> you're supposed to be giving. <laughs> not thinking about getting. <laughs> then you will get... <laughs> anyway, it's tricky, but you'll get experience. You have to give up yourself always at all times. And it's not yeah, it's not just the deity is here, we worship, it's everywhere. You have a chance to be selfless on any level. You should grab it immediately. Swallow it. Every day in the course of your dealings with every person everywhere, it's opportunities to be tolerant, to be humble, to sacrifice, to be unselfish. That's what it's all about, all the time, everywhere. It's not just a 
temple. We don't want to be just Kanishtadikars. This is religious orientation. We want experiential spiritual life. You have to put this in practice everywhere. It's everywhere. Krishna is everything. Everything is a manifestation of Krishna. You take the deity and use him for your sense gratification. Will you take a shalagram shila and use him to crack nuts so that you can feed your belly? Oh no, I don't ever do that. But if you advance and you think you will not use anything for your sense gratification, so everything is Krishna's energy. Everything, everyone is worshipable by me. That I would use it for my service. No, I'm just servant. That is a higher idea. We, we wouldn't dare use the shalagram, but then we go out and do it everywhere else. As soon as I'm out of the temple, away from the puja, put my japa down, exploit everything. Where, what did you learn in your puja? In your japa. You're supposed to come out of that and look and see, oh, it's a expanded idea of that. I went in here, I entered in, I chanted the holy name of Krishna. Did I get anything from that chanting? Did I experience Krishna? If I did, when I walk out the door, that would be apparent. And how I look at Krishna's energy. The first jiva soul I see walks up to me. What will I think? I hate that guy. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 Maharaj, we're used to we're used to labeling him. You know, we label people as karmis, or as uh, or as gyanis, or as non-devotees. Actually, everyone's looking for love, whether they're a Christian or a Muslim or anything like that. So mm -hmm. we should not tell a Rambak that oh well, you know, Krishna is better. Uh, we should not... Uh... Only for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Gives them an to be I was walking with Prabhupada once in Vrindavan and we went through the Vaikuntha Gardens, which is the garden set up for the Rangaji deity. And they take the Rangaji deity for, uh, on a parade. So we're walking through the gardens and, and uh, one man is coming the other way and Prabhupada said, says, Hare Krishna. And Prabhupada had his cane and, he, and the other man had a cane and he picked up his cane and said, Hare Ram. Yeah. And Prabhupada laughed and we walked and he said, hey, He will not say, Hare Krishna, he is the devotee of Ram, he will not say. And then he told a story, he pulled us aside and he said, Actually, in, in Ras Lila, Krishna was, had disappeared with Radha and he told a story, Ram came and offered jewels to decorate Radha and Krishna. Some story from somewhere to him. And he was, in his own way, he was telling us, Actually, Krishna is superior to Ram. <laughs> and we walked further, and we came all the way around the back the other way, and the other man's coming the other way back. And Prabhupada's prayers just came and said, Hare Krishna! And he said, Hare Ram! And Prabhupada laughed. <laughs> so for fun, we can do. The point is that we are nowhere with theory, save and except to the extent that that theory is fueling our actual practice. And if we're practicing... And we won't be humble, we won't be at odds with everyone, and think we are the one that is to teach everyone. We think I have learned from everyone. That will be our experience. So, you know, we don't need to go out and argue with someone, you should worship Ram, I, I'm, I'm worshiping Krishna, you're wrong for worshiping Ram. Worship Krishna. Don't waste your time like that. And if you see someone worshiping Ram, you will think like Bhaktivinoda, oh, he saw them worshiping Jesus, and he thought, oh, and in this place they worship my God like this. Oh, nice. Barabhagi means he, he carries a heavy load of his sectarian identification and externals and so forth. Saragrahi means sar, sar. We are interest, interested in rasa. Mahabharu asked Ramananda Roy again, what is the sar, the essence of the sadhya? 
of the goal of, the, of life. It's a little play on the word. Sar means essence. It means also the essence of a thing. If the, what is the essence of the fruit? Take away the pit and the rind and uh, just the juice. This we want. We are essence seekers. What is the Shrimad Bhagavatam about? What is it? It's not a sectarian book. Just with telling you we should wear these markings and dress like that. Book about love. Rasa. Drink it, he says. And when you f- pass out from drinking it, get up, drink it again. again. <laughs> hmm? <coughs> drink the elixir of Srimad Bhagavatam. So, should we take Prashad, Brahma? Yes, yes. Uh, we are keeping with the theme of contemporary preaching in America with a contemporary American uh, mm. meal. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Vegetarian, I hope. <laughs> it's a mystery. It's a mystery. You see, you don't know. You don't know. Jai. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Jai.